Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Yoga with Joe. I hope you're all doing well. I recorded this podcast a while ago with one of my teachers and friends, Diana Belafato, and we recorded this at the very beginning of the coronavirus quarantine on March 23rd. So I want to address this matter and just say my thoughts are with everybody out there in this hard time. Everyone has their own stories of chaos and all the craziness that's going on out there in the world. If you've lost your work, if you are sick or have friends and family that are sick, my heart goes out to everyone. In this episode with Diana, we shed some light on this matter and talk about it all. Diana brought up this really great analogy that we're all in this really uncomfortable yoga pose right now. So maybe you have this pose that you do that you just don't feel comfortable in And whenever you're in a class where the yoga teacher calls it out, you get into the state of being really uncomfortable. Your mind maybe gets negative and you're holding on to it. Well, we talk about things that can help like daily routines, also called dinacharya. And when we're alone, that's the start of a meditation right there, right? Diana is an incredible Ayurvedic consultant. She's been teaching yoga for over 20 years. And she's going to be releasing an online Ayurvedic program called Quantum Self-Care. So you can check out that info on her site. I'll have it also linked in the show notes. You can visit yogaandayurvedicliving.com. This talk was a great one for me with lots of good notes. It was a huge honor. I hope you all enjoy it. And here it is. Diana Belafonte. See, I'm very excited to have on um, you on the podcast. It's an interesting time that we're doing this too, and I, I would just want to like jump out there and, and say it. When we scheduled it two like two weeks ago, it almost feels like a little bit of a different world, does it? Totally. Yeah. And for the record, we're sitting not quite six feet apart, but we're we're apart. In quarantine. <laughs> in quarantine, doing the podcast, right? That's right. You have about 20 years yoga teaching experience. Yes. I started exploring yoga a little over 20 years ago and dove right into getting the certification and starting to teach. And obviously, I'm still learning. I feel like I'm still more a student than a teacher, more than ever, because the more you learn, the more you find out that you don't really know anything. Still learning. Yeah. Yeah, that's what my uh, only Italian tattoo says. It, ancora and paro. Still, does that mean still learning? Always learning. Always still learning. learning. Yeah, yes. the more you learn, the more you, you say, oh, I really don't know anything. Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, yeah. Uh, he had once said that. Oh. He wrote it in his notebook at a older age of late 80s. Uh-huh. I think he lived to about 88, I think. And he had that written down in his uh, notebook. I always love that and attached to it. Cool, it's true. And then and that serves to prove that we don't have any original thoughts, even if we think we do. Right. But I didn't know that and I thought that, but maybe I heard it somewhere along the way. Yeah. But you really you learn and you say to yourself, I really don't know anything. Right. But it's cool <laughs> having the Italian background um, and to share that with you. So I met you uh, in Somerville and in any uh, industry I think Um, When you meet somebody, 
whether you're like a, a doctor or a carpenter working in like an architecture field, to meet someone that has more experience than you is um, uh, so so gratifying, so so happy to feel to be next to somebody to um, to learn and share. So I'm excited for this uh, this talk and get to know you. Cool. Well, I'm excited to share whatever I can. Yeah. So where to start? We have the, the, the past, the future, but I want to start right here in the present moment and talk about like what is going on in the, in the world right now. I was driving over here and we're in the, we're in, uh, the coronavirus um, time where I think I want to say like day six or seven right now here in the States. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't kept track of the, the time. Right, you're on a you're on a cleanse, which which I like. It just it, over the years, it's always come to pass, not always, but often, that when it's around the time that I should be cleansing, I cleanse twice a year, spring and fall. Over the last years, there's always been some sort of uh, weather-related event or something where it falls right at the time of cleansing, and I say, perfect, this is the perfect time to cleanse because. You know, I'm, I'm isolated, I can be quiet, slow down, and really like dive into some introspection, which you're supposed to do when you cleanse. You're not just cleansing physical toxins, you're cleansing emotional garbage out too. So, you know, we had a hurricane here in Somerville last September, right after I moved down here. I cleansed then, and now it's spring. I was due to cleanse, and I was going to do it maybe in a few weeks from now, but I said, no, now is great because I'm home, can't really go anywhere, do anything, this is perfect. Going through those periods mm -hmm. and just taking that time to cleanse. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's a gift really to not have to go anywhere, you can't really work. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are certain things certain people can do, but my work is put on the back burner. Right, do you experience moments of hunger? Yes, because I have a pretty voracious appetite. But that's one thing that Ayurveda has really helped me with over the years is to help to balance my digestion so that I'm not as hungry. And it's, of course, if you practice Ayurveda, you're naturally, you become more naturally inclined to eat better foods, make better choices, as they say. So uh, what I've been doing over the last years is I'll do what's called a bile flush first, just to, like I mentioned before to you, kind of help thin out the bile, destagnate it so that you know the liver and gallbladder can work better. I know they have a job of cleaning things out themselves, but they need help too sometimes with all the environmental toxins and other toxins we have coming at us, especially toxins of late with all the political unrest. That's really yuck, you know? So I do a bile flush and then I go right into a week long of eating a mono diet of a food called kitchari. It's white basmati rice and mung beans cooked with certain spices. That diet's very easy to digest, so your digestion gets a rest. The spices act as medicine, as do the beans. The beans are really good at helping to soothe the, the intestinal gut and heal it. And you get, you know, you get everything you need. You get your protein, you get your carbs, you get a little bit of fat with the ghee that you cook into the rice and mm. beans and without going into a lot of depth about that, it's a very well-balanced meal. So that's three times a day for seven days. 
nothing else. You could add like green vegetables. You don't want to add anything starchy, but I try to just leave it as austere as possible because then I don't even have to go out to the store. Right? Mm -hmm. I have my rice and beans ahead of time. I cook my kitchery, and I don't even have to think about it. That's what I'm eating all the time. It's not, oh, what's for dinner? I know what's for dinner. I know it's for lunch. I know it's for breakfast. Mm. Just go with it. Take a couple different herbs throughout the week, and all this allows the body to sort of direct the toxins into the GI tract for purging at the end of the week. But again, you also help to detox mental toxins or mental ama, as we call it in Ayurveda. It's not just physical. And those toxins lie deeper in your fat cells, your molecules of emotion, as we call it, are in the fat cells. So we get to go into the fat cells and, and uh, extract that stuff that needs to come out. Mm. It's interesting what uh, uh, cleansing and fasting and diets is like that period that you're in the cleanse and when you're out of it or before it, it's like two different states that your body goes in yeah or or even three so in ayurveda we have like you said the before during and after before we have what's called purva karma the actions you take before to prepare yourself for the cleanse purva purva like p-o-o -O or p-u-r-v-a purva karma where you prepare you start to clean up your act leading into the cleanse you don't say oh i'm not gonna get to have stuff that i like for weeks so i'm gonna you know, go off the wall and have tons of alcohol and meat and whatever, yeah. that won't be good. It'll be too harsh on your your body, your organs to do that. So you, you start to clean up a little bit beforehand. That's your purva karma. Then during is your karma, right? Your actions, of the present actions that you take to cleanse. And then after the cleanse is over, Ayurveda doesn't just say, okay, you're on your own, dude. Go have at it. You know, what, what do I do now? I clean my body out. What should I do? So we have the after karma. It's called paschat karma, P-A-S-C-H-A-T karma. So Ayurveda has a gentle but very effective way of doing things. It's not fanatical and dogmatic. We don't like go in and strip the body like, okay, you're going to fast or you're just going to have this green juice and totally dry out your body and space out your mind. And that's not healthy, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's purva karma. Karma and paschat karma. Karma is uh, in the past, the present, and the future. Yeah. So and it's in all of them. And actions. The actions you take before, the actions you take during, the actions you take after. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about when I'm referring to karma in this instance. Yeah. Action. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not working. I actually chose this month to uh, remove myself from teaching classes to concentrate on an online program I'm developing. So it was serendipitous for me, not, you know, not happy about the virus, but I chose this month to not work anyway, to focus on other work that I'm building. And it just so happens that I wouldn't have been making money anyway had I been teaching yoga, I wouldn't have been able to work. I mean, I know a lot of studios are doing this on uh, this live streaming, but it's really, it's not the same money and not really making much teaching yoga these days anyway so again it was a good time and with cleansing I don't need to go out to the store to get anything so I'm doing my part to stay away from people for the most part I run with friends a couple times a week 
we're just a few of us, and we actually stay away from each other while we're running. We meet up, we smile, we run, and then we go home. So I'm just seeing the same few people I saw before it started. Those are the same people I'm seeing now. Nobody knew or anything like that. And even though I'm not working, it kind of gets my knickers in a knot that they're forcing certain businesses to close and letting other ones stay open that really aren't essential. And now you have throngs of people running to these stores to, you know, like Home Depot or wherever, to get things they need to catch up on all these, you know, house things they've been putting off that they were too busy to do. So it's, it's perpetuating, you know, this germ spread anyway. So I don't know really what to do. I just know that, you know, it's kind of working maybe a little bit, but not to the degree that it should be because now these certain stores that are still open, people are mobbing to, to get things they need and that's not helping the quarantine. Sure, and people are getting toilet paper. Yeah, and it's not fair to the people that can't go to work because someone has deemed it non-essential. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that um, you're doing during this time period? I know you mentioned uh, working online more. Uh, that's it, working online, developing a program, <clears throat> Do you want to hear about the program? I'd love to. Okay. Sure. So, ever since I started doing Ayurvedic consulting, uh, a few years after I started teaching yoga, I would do the consultations and I would see that people were very enthusiastic when they came to meet with me because it's really interesting. You get to learn all about you. You know, how much vata, pitta, kapha do you have in you? Those are these elemental energies that comprise your being, right? of space, air, fire, water, and earth. People will be really enthused to hear about themselves and get the recommendations to help treat their imbalances. Or in some cases, if a person is really cool and enlightened, we'll say, they would come to me as a well person to get tips for staying well, which is really the ultimate, right? But then I found that I would do the consultations, give them their recommendations, and for the most part, not hear from them anymore or hear from them after and find out they really didn't implement much because I would give them the recommendations and then I would give them about a month to get everything going and I would check in with them. But basically people didn't stick with it, which is a bummer because Ayurveda has so much to offer, right? It, it helps, you know, cure disease, but also prevent and give you great tools for maintaining wellness. So now with this program I'm developing, what I'm doing is, it's called Quantum Self-Care, by the way. That's the name I came up with in the middle of the night the other night when I woke up. I've been fooling around with names and that's what I'm calling it. I definitely wanted to have self-care in the title and I added quantum um, as it relates to quantum mechanics or quantum physics in that uh, what we focus on grows, you know, what, what you put your attention into is what can what manifests in yoga you know they have that corny saying where focus goes energy flows but it's really true it's 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 physics so focusing your attention on your self-care to build a strong foundation uh, from which to maintain wellness so i'm making it my job to help you tap into your own innate wisdom as it were or your intrinsic knowing you know what to do. It's just a matter of focusing and getting organized and doing it. 
So with this program, it's going to be an amalgam of things, yogic and Ayurvedic, that will help you to create a daily routine to bring yourself back into balance, maintain balance, and just, you know, live your life to the fullest. But again, if I just throw an Ayurvedic consultation at you and give you your recommendations, you're really not prepared to do everything. You're not in the right mindset. So the first part of the training is going to have a lot of mindset work to create positive mindset, clarity, the ability to concentrate, uh, and then we'll start to build a daily routine, get to learn some yoga, and then start feeding in little Ayurvedic hors d'oeuvres, and then about midway or so into the program, you get your own personal Ayurvedic consultation because now you're ready to use the recommendations. If I give them to you in the beginning, when you're really not prepared, you're not going to be able to appreciate them and work with them. Yes. And yoga is, just, uh, yoga is one small part of it. You're also talking about everything that we've talked about, your, the lifestyle, um, your nutrition, what you're eating, not just the yoga and meditation, right? Right. I always say, you know, if people ask me about yoga and Ayurveda, I always feel as if in the West here, you know, in our country, we kind of got it backwards. We should have learned Ayurveda first, and then, been, then we would know what yoga to do for our own personal needs. Right. You know, if you think of yoga and Ayurveda, Ayurveda is the trunk of the tree. It has all the nutrients in it, all the information. Yoga is a teeny tiny little branch of Ayurveda. So we need to have a foundation in Ayurveda to know how to use yoga properly. Mm -hmm. You know. And when we say the yoga, yoga asanas, the physical postures, right? When I say yoga, I mean all the tools of yoga. I mean yogasana. I mean, so that's the postures, right? I mean the breath work, pranayama, right? Which is a big part of my practice. Yes. I mean mudra, hand gestures that help to drive the yoga into the body when you're doing a pose using a hand mudra. It's a vehicle or an anupana for sending the yoga in even better, like getting more bang for the buck. Mm -hmm. Meditation is yoga. Just practicing single-minded focus, ekachitta. If you're standing at the sink washing dishes, you're just focusing on washing the dishes. So that's yoga. Anything you do with single-minded focus, you know, certain intention and specificity can be a yoga. What's the last Sanskrit word that you eat that? Eka, ekachitta. Eka, like the number one single chitta mind, single-minded focus, ekachitta. Is that a, in the sutra? I don't know. Okay. You're very good at Sanskrit, by the way. I don't know if I am. I love languages. I tend to remember words, and I love accents. I think it's fun. Yeah. And, and so I, I tell people, too, because I also offer, you know, if you come to my class, you're going to get a little smattering, you know, buffet, as we call it, of everything that I've learned that I feel I can transmit with authenticity and accurateness and intelligence, part of that being the Sanskrit language. So chanting of some basic mantras. And what many people don't know about the Sanskrit language is what I've learned, maybe some people will disagree, but it's that it's our original language. All languages were derived from it. It's preliterate. It was around before writing. 
and it really helps to create more intelligence in your body, your physical body, your physiology, and your mind, because when you chant the Sanskrit words, there are five vibrations that you create, five vibrations. You have a, a guttural vibration that you create, cerebral, which is kind of a soft palate area, back on the roof of the mouth, and then palatal, the hard palate, and then dental against the back of the teeth, and then labial, the lips, pop, pop, pop. So I call those vibrations like ricochet rabbit. Mm. You know, boom, 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 they ricochet, the vibrations go in and they inform your cells. They increase the intelligence. They go in and they create a conversation with your cells and inform you physio physiologically and psychologically. So even if you don't know what you're saying in Sanskrit, say some words and the better you can pronounce them the better effect they have you're not going to hurt yourself by mispronouncing but better pronunciation gets better vibration yeah it's all vibration and energy yep, uh, i love i love sanskrit uh and learning different languages mm -hmm. as well even though maybe sometimes i i'm not very good at them well, we're just always learning and practicing. I mean, I always joke around, but it's true. I'm not even fluent in English, you know? Yeah. Talk so. about English grammar as well, too. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that's another the, thing. That's the big one. <laughs> but Sanskrit, uh, Italian? No Italian, no which Italian. my father was very annoyed at. I always loved French. I studied French a little in high school. And then a couple years ago, I took a month and went to an amazing French school uh, on the Riviera in France to study. And I continue to use my little Duolingo app. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just, I love any language. When I go to Africa, I try to pick up as much Swahili as I can, whatever, anything. And I love playing around with accents. They're fun. Mm -hmm. Out of respect, because I love them. Not, I'm not making fun of them. I love accents. Right. What do you think about the um, Southern American accents? I think the southern accent is like the easiest one to uh, unconsciously, if you will, pick up, you know, before you know it, you're, you're yawling everybody. And I don't know, it's part of the, the warmth down here that people have, you know? Yeah, there's a certain politeness to the way that you're speaking and to address somebody. Yeah, people, no matter where you go in any, again, any business, any service industry i have found down here bar none has been the most polite and helpful and if they don't know the answer they're willing to go find out and they don't look at you with an attitude even if they're doing a job that most of us wouldn't want to do they're really nice yeah that has been unequivocally the case for me here as opposed to other parts of the country and world where it has not been the case so yay south carolina yeah, I certainly love it down here. And right now, with all the restaurants and bars uh, closed, and did I mention yoga studios? <laughs> yes. But it's good that we get to, um, we're, we're transitioning online. And things are just, I think, changing a little bit, uh, too, now. Yeah, we'll see. Stay tuned, right? Stay tuned. Or, you know, hopefully um, the awareness that people are, you know, developing around certain things will stick after, or will it be those same people who were so freaked out saying you have to stay at home and be considerate of others? Uh, will they, you know, go back to their old habits or will they continue to not use the whole piece of paper towel? You only need like a quarter.
quarter or half, you know? Or will they go out and just be wasteful again after this is all over? I don't know. The post-karma. Pardon? Yeah, the, the paschat karma paschat. of the corona. <laughs> the corona karma. See what happens after. It almost sounds like real Sanskrit. It does. You can weave that in somehow. Yeah. Corona asana. <laughs> corona asana. Corona asana. Standing on your crown, a new a new headstand Sanskrit word. That would be a, right? a corona, right? Your your, your crown. Your crown yeah. chakra. Yeah. It's almost like the world's taking a little meditation. You think everyone around the world is in their um, their own life as everything's changing. Do you think that we're raising this um, universe's conscious level to the crown chakra? Oh, I don't know if it's going to make it all the way up the mountain, but hopefully it it will again start to you know, make us more all aware of things. You know, I think people are kind of being forced if you make it analogous to a yoga pose, people are in a really uncomfortable pose right now, that pose that you don't like to do. If you think of a yoga pose, you're like, oh shit, I don't want to do that pose. Why did the teacher just call out that pose? And you do it and your, your mind gets all negative and grumpy. Everybody's kind of holding their own uncomfortable pose right now and being forced into <clears throat> the beginning state of meditation, which is hard for a lot of people to you know, be alone, but what they don't realize, I think, because you know, I don't know, I'm studying yoga and I have found that by having my daily routine, my dinacharya, by the way, is your daily routine, dinacharya, part of which is uh, you know, certain yoga practices, meditation being the one that helps you to not feel lonely. You know, if I could offer my own little two cents I'm seeing so many people posting on Facebook and just talking about how they're freaked out having to be by themselves or just with certain family members and not getting to go outside, outside, outside. They're being forced to go inside and not just in their physical edifices, their houses, inside themselves. And at first that's like weird, you've never been there before and you don't know that person very well. So it's kind of that uncomfortable, beginning uh, social introduction to yourself. So people are being forced to sit with themselves more and it can bring up anxiety that's there. It doesn't create it. So if I can be clear on that, certain yoga practices like the breath work, the pranayama and meditation can make people anxious at first. It's not creating anxiety. It's creating a pathway, you know, the poses, the breath work, the meditation, creates a pathway for that stuff to come out. But while it's coming out, it can be uncomfortable. So if you just take little bites, sit for just two minutes the first day, first week, and then build up, then it can become more comfortable. Just like if you're trying to you know, train for a marathon, you don't go out and run all 26 at first. You train for a 5K and so on. Same thing here, but that's the very thing that will help you to not feel lonely is if you can develop a meditation practice. Yeah, and besides a meditation practice, like a healthy um, daily practice of it. So you're yeah. doing it daily. Yeah, a daily routine, again, Dinacharya, daily routine is more important than the length of time or the duration that you do the meditation or the yoga poses. It's the daily routine that really um, calms anxiety, 
tethers down what we call the vata, the air and space elements that become overabundant in us, making us anxious and fearful. It helps to compress it out of the body or stretch it, you know, and just calm things down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, daily routine. I would say if you're going to do yoga, five or ten minutes a day uh, regularly is better than one hour once a week. But you do what you can, you know. But really, when you say you don't have time, do you really not have time? We have time. We do. We all do. We all make excuses, myself included. Sometimes I pace around my mat, you know, with that practice reluctance. You know how a dog kind of walks around in circles before they plop down in their spot? I kind of do that. I'm like a dog walking around in circles until I find my spot. Sometimes the circles last longer, (laughs) other times I don't have to circle, I just go right to my spot. Or if there's something I'm working on that I don't know if I'm going to be able to do, that fear of the unknown makes me a little hesitant, so I'll pace around a little bit more before I practice it. I like that, because your your seat, to take your seat is is your asana. Right, right, right. yeah. So it's like you're circling around, you're the dog, and then you go ahead and you plop down and take the awesome. Yeah, kind of like uh, hovering like a helicopter <laughs> over it before I come in for a landing. Yeah, I like that analogy. I uh, like the breath work a lot uh, too, the pranayama, and that's the lately has been more of my daily practice. So pranayama is special to me. What are, what are pranayama exercises that you uh, like to practice? Well, when you bring up the word pranayama, I get excited and happy because that's like the main part of my practice, pranayama. And again, over here in the West, it's not introduced as much. You know, everybody thinks, not everybody, I shouldn't say that, but many people who don't really know about yoga think it's a bunch of crazy pretzely poses. And yeah, you can get involved in that and it's good for you because you do other things when you're doing poses that you don't even know you're doing. You press on parts of your body that have deeper physiological responses, right? You practice your own varma therapy, your own pressure point therapy on yourself when you do poses. But again, the pranayama or the breath work to me is the yoga. It's, it's, the, it's the bridge, right? It connects the gap between your, your physical body, your mind, you know, to put it in more simple terms. But I was really lucky to study a good amount with Dr. Vasant Lad who, again, if you, you know, are in the world of Ayurvedic people, he's, you know, one of our foremost leaders in Ayurveda. He's Indian, but has been here in the United States for many years, and he has his own uh, clinic out in New Mexico, in Albuquerque. He and other great teachers like John Bouillard, Claudia Welch, Robert Swoboda, Dr. David Frawley, all these people... Uh, taught little modules of my Ayurvedic training that I participated in at Kripalu Center. But uh, the pranayama that sticks out is the pranayama that he taught. He taught us about nine different pranayamas, a couple of which I already knew, but others I didn't. He taught a different kind of ujjayi breathing, you know, the the victorious breath that most yoga teachers know. It's a different kind of ujjayi. I actually have a question about ujjayi. Mm -hmm. Uh, is ujjayi breathing that's more in the vocal cord of your throat, or would a, is ujjayi uh, uh, that that just nasal passageway breathing, like breath of fire? As I understand it and practice it, when you practice ujjayi, you're breathing in and out through your nose, right? Your nose 
takes the breath in. Mouth is closed. Your mouth is closed, but you're bringing the breath right into the base of your throat, the area of the glottis and the epiglottis. So it's not a, it's a, like Darth Vader, we always say, it's like Darth Vader breath. Or the ocean. Or the ocean. So it's kind of constricting the glottis and the epiglottis a bit to get the breath to go there. You can think of it as, at first, practicing with your mouth open, like you're trying to fog up a mirror. If you were trying to fog up a mirror, you wouldn't just blow like you're like blowing out a candle. You would make that, that. The uh, deep exhalation in uh, hot yoga, 26 postures. Like well, the beginning of class. I don't even know if it's deep so much as it comes from the throat. It's like you're trying to fog up the window or the mirror. You're going, so you can start by practicing with your mouth open, inhaling, exhaling, and then do it with your mouth closed over time, and you'll still be able to get the breath to go right to the base of the throat rather than just into the nose. So the ujjayi breathing, victorious breath, is a very loud, audible type of breathing as well. Uh, some people get dramatic with it, and they make it really loud. But Wait, yogis get dramatic. Oh, no, yeah. never. No, some people do it very loudly, which, again, if you're trying to do it Ayurvedically in a well-balanced way, you don't make it too loud because the more you conjure it up in that loud way, the more heating it becomes, and you don't want to overheat the body, right? So That's especially yeah, so especially if you're in hot yoga and you're practicing ujjayi, if you're trying to show off your ujjayi and do it really loudly, then you're increasing your pitta, your heat more, which is not good. So ujjayi doesn't have to be super loud. It's, it is audible, but you know, if someone's 10 feet away or whatever, they shouldn't really hear it. Mm. You can hear it. It's something you can really bind your attention to, which is great. It's your little meditative tool, but it's not super loud, you know? And then the, but the ujjayi, for instance, that Dr. Lod taught um, <clears throat> is more of a sound you would hear, you know, like the blowing of the conch cell. It's a, it's a wheezing, it's a wheezing sound that you produce with your ujjayi. It's a right? But at first when people practice it, throat is dry or they can't get the, the breath to go where it's supposed to go and they'll kind of cough when they do it or they'll have like a very, you know, shallow, you know, they won't be able to really do it. But again, over time, if you practice, you can get a good, you know, blowing of the conch cell going. Wow. That would be an ujjayi breath? That's the type of ujjayi that he taught. You know, there are other things that go along with it, but that it's, it's ujjayi going, bringing the breath to the, breath to the base of the throat, adding that wheeze. On the right. inhale. Right, yeah. Wow, interesting. So you add that wheeze on the inhale while you raise your right arm, right? You're raising your arm because you open up <clears throat> the axillary area more and, and also the, the you dilate the bronchi better, right? You bring in that wheezing breath through your nose, and you tilt your pelvis forward, and then on your exhale, you tilt your pelvis back, like you're rounding. You put your thumb of your right hand against your right nostril, and you thrust the air out of your left nostril, like a That is blowing out excess, what we call kapha, or the excess earth and water, maybe, becoming overabundant in the form of phlegm or lethargy, you know, just stagnation. So your ujjayi is that wheezing inhale and then blowing out the left side or the lunar cooling kapha side to get out that buildup of kapha. 
Would you do that in repetitions or one <clears> time? You would do that in uh, within the series of pranayamas that he taught. It comes at a certain point. So there's different ones. Yeah, there are all different ones. This is one of them. And when you first start practicing, just like you know anything else in yoga or any kind of training, you don't want to do too much too soon. Pranayama is the bomb, but it's you know people sometimes don't take it very seriously because it's like oh you're breathing. What's the big deal? You know it's just breathing. Well. It's pretty profound. What happens if you stop breathing, right? Breath you're, retention. You're gone. Well, I mean, if you can't breathe anymore, you, you're 86, you're out. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> so, you know, you have to give pranayama its proper respect and build up. So if you say you wanted to start practicing ujjayi or utjai, um, you would do seven reps per day for a week. And then you keep adding one repetition per week. So seven every day for a week eight every day for a week, nine every day for a week, up to 17 repetitions, and you keep going with 17. So each round, you're increasing? Uh, no, each week, you're increasing by one. Every day the first week, you do seven each day. Every day the second week, you do eight each day. Every day the third week, nine. And as weeks go by, you build up to 17. So. It's a committed practice. It's not just, oh, I want to try this. It's for lasting transformation. It's part of your routine. But I could do the whole, you know, when you get efficient at things and proficient at them, the learning curve at first makes it take longer to figure out how to do things. But once you get, you know, used to it, mm -hmm. I can do the whole series of uh, pranayama that I do in 45 minutes, 40 minutes, 35 minutes. I don't really, you know, keep track of the time anymore, but it's well under an hour. How do you find all the different series of pranayama practices? Well, Dr. Lod taught us about nine different pranayamas. So I do the ones that he taught. Uh, I also have uh, Dr. John Duyard to thank for learning complete nasal breathing when I exercise, meaning breathing only through your nostrils the entire time, not in through your nose, out through your mouth, like some people think. This is only breathing in and out through your nose the entire time. Because it's, it's the opposite of uh, anything sympathetic nervous system related. So anything that creates that, you know, agitation, fight or flight, complete nasal breathing is the opposite. It's all parasympathetic. And if you're thinking of doing it in terms of enhancing your performance level, it's really beneficial. Like if you're a runner, I, I run. Well, maybe some people wouldn't call it running because I'm not very fast, but let's say I go out and run. When I started practicing complete nasal breathing, it took maybe two to three months to build up the ability to run faster, but when I did, I took a minute off my mile pace. That's huge, that's wow. a lot. You know, I don't know if you run, if you know like taking a minute off your time is a ton. So that shows you how effective complete nasal breathing is and it helps that, so that you don't build up as much lactic acid. When you breathe through your mouth, you're even um, compressing the bones around your cranium, your cranial bones, so you're like squeezing your brain when you breathe through your mouth. Nasal breathing is all relaxing you can go you know, longer. Again, like I said, you don't have the lactic acid buildup. It's, it's awesome, but a lot of people won't try it 
because it requires kicking your ego out the door. People don't want to be seen jogging slowly down the street. They want to look like they're going fast. And at first you have to slow down because you'll start to run and you'll, you won't be able to keep your mouth closed because you're going faster than you can. And you'll have to stop and <gasps> breathe through your mouth. But if you just go slowly and build up, you're going to end up being faster than you were before. Mm. So it's, a, it's really an awesome practice. Yeah, I really like the nose breathing and meditation uh, where you get really aware of that particular type of breath, controlling in, in and out through the nose. Mm -hmm. And the different ratios of retention and everything, right? Yeah, shouldn't we be following dogs since they're more, more mouth breathers? Oh, uh, well, we're not dogs, though. We have different pieces, parts. So you that know? part we're not following them. Well, I love all things that. dog, but breathing through... My mouth and my tongue hanging out, probably not so much. Although there are pranayamas where you do stick out your tongue, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like lion's pose and stuff like that. But in general, just when you're walking around in, in everyday life, you should be breathing with your mouth closed, just through your nose. So I notice uh, when I do do mouth breathing, uh, you're, you're taking more oxygen, you do get more lightheaded. Is that why um, you say just the nose breathing, it's less less in the head when you breathe through your mouth you get lightheaded mm -hmm. that to me would speak to i don't know but just my what came to me is that would speak to your ratio of inhale to exhale is imbalanced you're probably exhaling more than you're inhaling that causes causes lightheadedness if you just inhale a little bit you only make a little deposit but you make a big withdrawal you're going to get vata you're going to get lightheaded right that withdrawal of more breath than you took in took more out of the bank than you put in, so you're left at a deficit. So more of an exhale. More of an exhale will create the lightheadedness. Right. Yeah. So with nasal breathing, you get more oxygen in to your brain, and the breath goes deeper into the lower lobes of the lungs because your nostrils are these have these turbinates that drive the, the breath in. So if you're looking to affect change in the mind, you know, Meditation is a great way, but pranayama is a great way. If you have dis-ease of your mind, you have anxiety, you have depression, you have anger, whatever you have, doing pranayama will help to affect the mind, right? It goes right, you know, up into the brain, mm. into the mind. So the nostrils, you know, Yoga Ayurveda calls nostrils the gateway to the mind. Gateway to the mind. Not an original thought. Something I read or learned, right? No, no, we don't have any original thoughts. There's nothing left over. Everything's recycled and turned into a meme. So, yeah, even before we called it pranayama, it would just be called something else. Yeah, it's still breathing. Right. Do you practice any mouth breathing? Like, um, do you know the Wim Hof? I've heard of the Wim Hof method, but I don't know the Wim Hof method and <clears throat> Wim Hof was not around before yoga, so it's a pranayama, I'm sure, even if I don't know it, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> they call it his, uh, his method, because um, he brought in a lot of science to it, mm -hmm. and studies that showed it, it um, helps your immune system. Uh, I'm really interested in kumbhaka. So do you know kumbhaka. about like... Kum kumbhaka. 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 Right. You have to teach me more of the Sanskrit. Kumbhaka. Uh, breath retention. Yes. Do you practice any, I, I love breath holding and doing that type of work. Um, 
Is that part of the pranayama series or do you practice any of that? There's breath retention, there's kumbhaka, holding of the breath. In a couple of the pranayamas I do, and that's great because, you know, again, when done correctly, it has a very good effect on your nervous system, calms things down. So the Wim Hof method builds you up to um, a two-minute time of exhale retention? You mean after you exhale, you hold your breath for two minutes? Mm -hmm. And I've gotten up to two minutes, 40 seconds before. When I first started, I was not nearly um, at that level, but I was able to hold it for the first time about 40 seconds, 45 seconds. But you're taking in really strong inhale breaths to oxygenate your breathing. Mm -hmm. So your white blood cells, your um, nervous system, all this is getting like a ton of oxygen. And then at the last breath, you exhale all of that air out and you hold it. Mm-hmm. You notice you're able to hold the breath or the hold out the exhale a little bit longer because of the really big inhalations through either the nose or the mouth. Wim says it doesn't matter which hole mm-hmm. that you breathe from. Just breathe, motherfucker. <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah. So inhale through the nose or a big inhale through the mouth. But the idea is letting out a little bit of an exhale. Mm-hmm. And then holding. And then on the last breath, exhaling and holding. Well, I don't know. I would have to try it and see. Because that's a big thing. People ask me questions and, you know, you can read about it. You know, in writing, it'll say this is the fact of this or that. But you really don't know until you try it yourself. Until you experience it. Yeah, yeah. because you have to form your own empirical data. But for me, I found, because I've, you know, I don't, my hobby is yoga, so I do it. I found that when I'm practicing breath retention or, you know, kumbhaka, as it were, the less full inhalation allows me to hold the breath longer. But I'm talking about an internal hold, breathing, holding after inhale. You're talking about the external hold. So I don't know. I, uh, when I do certain pranayamas and I practice the kumbhaka that goes with it, I will do, like, for instance, a skull polishing breath or kapalabhati, you know, the breath. I'll do a thousand. I do two sets of 500. At the end, I will take a big breath in, exhale, right, with the, the idea that Kapalabhati is a, also a kriya, not just a pranayama. It's a cleansing. So you've done all those breaths. And then that big exhale helps to just clean out everything you brought up. And then hold the breath. And then when you feel like you need to take a breath, like a nice biological urge, not just your mind saying, oh, I want to breathe. Wait till you have a biological urge to breathe. Not a brown bag moment, but a biological urge to breathe. Then you inhale to about two-thirds of your capacity and you hold again. So and that inhaling to just about two-thirds fullness allows me to have a nice, long, internal kumbhaka or internal retention of breath. My external holds are not as good as my internal. I, I love everything about the breath and like learning about it, studying it. So there's four parts to the breathing and they're each in a Sanskrit um, term. I did the inhale, inhale retention, exhale, exhale retention. Yes, and I used to know those Sanskrit words. Diane, looking for her. But I forgot them, and I just 
wrote something up about it the other day to remind myself, actually have it. So kumbhaka, you know, itself is breath retention, like we've already talked about. Kevala kumbhaka, kevala, spontaneous retention of the breath. At, like during meditation when your breath maybe naturally just suspends itself, you know, kevala kumbhaka. And then, and again, I don't know about my pronunciation on these, but when you retain the breath on inhale, so inhaling and then holding the breath would be anta or antaha kumbhaka. Retention on exhale, exhaling and holding the breath, which is what sounds like Wim Hof is a, a big fan of, right? The exhale retention is bahi, bahiha kumbhaka or bahi kumbhaka. Inhalation itself, the inhalation is puraka, puraka. Exhalation, rechaka, rechaka. And in English, when we retain the breath, it's hypoxia, which has you know all sorts of great benefits. Hypoxia. Hypoxia. What does that uh, term mean? Retention of the breath. Really? Yeah. And that's an English word. Yeah, that's what when you you know hold your breath in English, it's called hypoxia, right? But it all is it, these retentions are good when they're done in a healthy way, where you build up over time, not where you you know. Again, you're like, I'm gonna see how long I can hold my breath, just out of nowhere, right? And you maybe just pass out and your body gets all nervous and cortisol comes gushing out and stays there for 24 hours having its own destructive little party in you. Yeah. So build up to it. Well, that's what I love about the breath work is uh, it's so powerful. Like if you do hold the breath, you do get lightheaded. That's real if you experience that. Yeah, and then just thinking that Years ago, when I was first teaching, I was teaching a little bit of pranayama in classes somewhere, and a woman expressed a concern that if she did certain pranayama, that she would become psychotic. Because I guess she had read that, yeah, as certain really intense practices can cause problems, especially if you have a predisposition to something. So there are, there can be. Uh, downright contraindications for certain breathwork practices, pranayamas with certain populations. Other things just have precautions, you know, and build up slowly. But mm -hmm. she was afraid that if she did, I forget what we were doing, maybe it was just Kapalavati skull polishing breath. She was afraid she'd become psychotic. And I explained that we're not doing enough of it in this class for that to happen. And if you do it, you know, slowly and gradually, you're not going to have the energy travel up the wrong side of the mountain, as we say. Mm. So, but you should, you know, just like anything else, don't don't try to just fling yourself up into a headstand without knowing how to do it. Don't do all this intense breath work without doing it properly and doing it gradually. Well, there's something special to the practice when you have uh, respect for it and you are treating it in a way where you should be doing it in doses little by little bit mm -hmm. rather than like taking that full-on dose and you want to get everything all one time. Well then that would just go back to saying you're not doing yoga, you're doing, what is it, ah yoga is no yoga or in this case misuse of yoga, mitya yoga. Mitya yoga. Mitya yoga, misuse so, of yoga well, or Ayurveda would say that's ridiculous, that's not Ayurveda, all or nothing. That's Western mentality, all or nothing. Balance is moderation. Moderation of everything. People say, I'm a perfectionist, it's all or nothing for me. And I say, that doesn't sound very perfect to me. It sounds like extreme and you're either gonna do something or not do it, that's not balanced. Well, what is an example of non-yoga? 
Like right now. Right now? <laughs> Toilet paper hoarders. Yeah. <laughs> But my the teacher that I'm working with right now, if I can uh, say who he is, because he's uh, been teaching me a lot of really good things. Sure. His name is Brian Aganod. He does live calls in his training. That's part of what you get in the training. And in a recent live call, he asked, you know, just to bring some levity to the situation with the virus. He said, can someone explain to me how, you know, all this toilet paper corresponds to the virus? And of course it doesn't, it's just fear of people running out to get toilet paper. But I jokingly responded with, uh, maybe there are tons of people like me who see this as an opportunity to begin their spring cleanse and they know they're gonna need more toilet paper so they run out and get it. But, you know, so hoarding toilet paper would be an example of non-yoga because, you know, you're not leaving, you're not, being kind to others, leaving it for others. You know, yoga is about everything, not just poses on the mat. Right. You know? It's so crazy when you um, when you see about when you hear about it, and you see it on like the television or the news, or even us talking about it and bringing it up. Mm -hmm. Is that there just comes like in the human's head, like, oh, maybe I need to be that person to go out there and get toilet paper. So I need to rush, and I have to have it. And we're so uh, attached to those material things that you know someone's talking about or seeing about that it's in a high demand. Yeah. I guess I, I guess I would be more fearful if I did watch the news. I don't have a TV and I don't watch television or the news. So what what I get comes in through Facebook memes which are funny because I am on Facebook and through friends and family, you know, telling me what's going on. So I get, you know, smaller doses of it and just in general I have certain practices that for me help to um, keep the fear level down you know I, I already had like six rolls of toilet paper going into the virus I still have enough uh, I don't need much food because I'm cleansing that's the great thing about cleansing all you need is rice beans spices and some ghee and you're good mm -hmm. you know so even if I come off my cleanse I still have food. I just don't have fresh veggies, which will be sad. I will have to go get them if I can, if I'm allowed to go get them. Otherwise, I won't have fresh veggies, but I'll still have food. might not be fun, but it'll be food. Mm -hmm. I think the right answer to all this is a bidet. And uh -huh. hopefully the sales of it will go up uh, after this, because bidets are, are awesome and you don't need any toilet paper. A few years ago, I was going to get one and I, I didn't get one. But yeah, I think they're great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I compost and I, I put up a compost video on my Instagram mm -hmm. um, yesterday and talking about like a little bit like less waste that you're um, doing during these times. Um, like I have less garbage that I need to like put out in a plastic bag um, and take away because I'm using it as a soil and that's just going to go into my garden and recycle all of this. Um, it boggles my mind that we're like putting food in, in bags and just like tossing them out and putting them into soil when they could just become rich soil. Yeah, anyway. I, I've, I've, that's one thing I've wanted to do over the years is be able to compost, but I haven't lived in a place where I can do that because I've lived in apartment complexes and things like that where I don't have, you know, a place to put it. Yeah, they make small little compost bins that you can use, um, 
the bigger, the larger side, you can get more soil and compost more. Mm-hmm. more. But the idea of it is just like less, less waste, less um, of our uh, carbon footprint. Is it right? Yeah. Well, not to sound too woo-woo, but it is what it is. Mother Nature is getting a nice breather right now. All the humans are freaking out, but uh, what did they say? The, the canal in Venice is running clear, less pollution. And uh, China has, I don't know how many more billion, whatever the measurement is of pollution there, how many billion, how much billion less pollution there. So, you know, there's obviously the good stuff coming out of it too. Yeah. You know, are you like queen of doom and gloom or are you like, wow, that's cool. So at least some good things are happening. Yeah, you could ride both of those roller coasters. Yeah, nobody's a hundred percent, you know, you know, um, uh, unicorns all the time, right? Sometimes you're like, oh shit, this is not good. Mm-hmm. You know, like for instance, I'm supposed to be moving, uh, <clears throat> like the first week in April, but who knows? Circumstances might make it such that I can't go ahead with plans. So we'll see, but. My life has been a lot in limbo over the last years anyway, so I guess I'm just getting more comfortable with not knowing. Not that I like it, I'm just, I'm just more comfortable with it. It doesn't, um, you know, flip the uh, stress switch on in me like maybe as it would have years ago before I experienced so much limbo in my life. Right. Does things change? You still have your daily routine going and you still do? That's the big anchor. That's what keeps you from freaking out and that's what helps keep you productive you because your mind is clear you can concentrate focus on what you want to do as opposed to you know people are at home now and they're not in their routine of going to work but if they had a regular daily routine of some practices not just getting in the car and driving to work then they might not be as freaked out right now and they might be developing more of their daily routine, like strengthening even more, like doing, getting more into parts of their yoga practice that they maybe didn't have quote unquote time for, or cooking more, like learning how to do things in the kitchen differently. You know, I I thought it was funny. The first thing I thought of when I heard the restaurants were closing except for takeout, I was like, boy, I think people are stressed out now. What if they couldn't get any prepared food anywhere and they had to make it themselves at home? That would be like mass hysteria. People, a lot of people, people might lose weight actually because they, a lot of people don't cook. Yeah. It, it goes, wouldn't be fun for some people. Back to what I said about the drive-thrus being opened, like that world is still going on and the yoga studios are closed. Yeah, so I don't know. I just, I know it's hard for people. I'm not trying to be apathetic, but I'm looking at it as an opportunity for us to, you know, start to learn how to do different things. Like, you know, people are are posting, I think people are so clever on Facebook, some of the things they post, like, great, now is a good time for you to teach your kid how to balance checkbook and do, you know, these daily living things that are really important. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. We could have like a little home ec class. We used to call it home economics when I was in school. I don't know what they call it now. You know, you actually had, you could go and cook in school and stuff like that. Teaching, you know, kids how to cook, teaching yourself how to cook if you don't know how. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm hoping to use this time uh, wisely enough to build up my morning routines and have a, a very dedicated 
um, practice. Would you mind sharing like what your your daily um, routine and stuff that you uh, incorporate? Uh, yes, I no, I wouldn't mind. So the answer is no, I don't mind. And then I lately, well, in the last year, I've, my sleep has gotten thrown off because I'm in menopause now, and I have lots of hot flashes that wake me up at night. So I used to be what people would call very rigid and have my bedtime and rising time. But you know what? That served me really well and enabled me again to be productive and have the focus and concentration and ability to do other things. So anyway, leave me alone. Let me do my thing. You do your thing. But now these days, like I will sleep later sometimes if I woke up a lot with hot flashes. But I'll, for the most part, you know, in a, in a non-hot flash world, if I could live there right now, I would be up at 5.30. That just feels really good to me to wake up at 5.30. A.M. A.M. Get up, do things that people do, you know, get up, pass my urine, brush my teeth, scrape my tongue. I uh, swish sesame oil around in my mouth for a good while. And then while I'm doing that, I have uh, silk gloves. They're like nubby raw silk gloves. They're called Garshana gloves. Garshana is when you dry brush your body with these gloves. Dry brush my body, sweeping motions to the heart and circular motions on the joints um, to help keep the lymphatic system going and help your immunity, right? So buy toilet paper, do Garshana, right? Because your toilet paper doesn't help your immune system. I do Garshana, but I was you know, doing that obviously before the virus. I do Garshana. And then I apply oil to my whole body. Uh, depending on the time of year, it's a different oil. Right now I'm working with coconut oil because I'm here in the South, it's warmer, and I am overheated. You know, I'm in that stage of life. So coconut oil is cooling and that's what I'm using. I was using sunflower oil over the winter. So it's kind of neutral for me, but now as we've gotten warmer, I'm into coconut oil. For the skin. Yeah, mm -hmm. outside, outer oleation as we would call it. So the morning stuff of that. Then I come downstairs, I get some tea going, uh, use fresh ginger tea, you know, and if it's organic, you don't have to take the skin off, just chop a bunch of it up. I chop a bunch up in the beginning of the week, keep it in a, an openish container in the fridge, grab a clump, throw it in the water, bring it to a boil. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been adding cumin, coriander, and fennel seeds to it. That's a, a classic, very basic, Ayurvedic tea, cumin, coriander, fennel tea. We call it CCF, cumin, coriander, fennel tea. I throw the ginger in there with it, make my tea. Uh, I make my breakfast drink that I am not good about switching up. That's my one thing that I'm, well, more than, I have more than one thing because, you know, nothing's perfect. But Ayurvedically, I should go things about, go about things more seasonally with my breakfast, and I don't. I like my chocolate drink every day, as many days of the week and year as I can get it. And it's um, almond milk with dates, hemp, flax, sesame, and raw cacao. I blend that up, but I leave it out for a while because I don't like it ice cold and it's not good for your digestion cold, so. You said it's chocolate? It's raw cacao, makes raw it cacao. chocolatey, yeah. Wow, okay. With, with the hemp with seeds. hemp, flax, sesame, and dates, dates for sweetness. Wow. So, and all those foods are, um, most of those foods are pretty 
OJUS enhancing, your OJUS being your life sap, your immunity, you know, contributes to your strength, having good quality OJUS. So the dates especially, almonds, things like that. So I make that drink, let my tea simmer to extract all the goodies out of it, sit down in front of the computer, check my phone, see what's going on, and then I come onto my mat with my tea and I start doing my pranayama. These days, my, prana, my pranayama is a thousand kapalabhati and then the breath retention that I do after that and 10 to 15 minutes of alternate nostril breathing or nadi shodhana, alternate nostril breathing, a little eyes closed, checking in, seeing what's going on, if any crazies renting space in my head, try to get that cleared out. And uh, a, a very physical yoga posture practice right now, with thanks again to my current teacher, Brian Aganad. My current practice takes me anywhere from one to two hours a day. And people might say, well, I don't have time to do that. And I typically, you know, if I was working as much as I usually do, wouldn't be contributing two hours. But right now I do have that luxury and I need that time to get the whole practice done. And it's been super helpful in my back pain. I have scoliosis. It's been incredible for my back pain. It has really bolstered my mindset too. Brian offers a good deal of mindset training in the practice, building confidence, getting you to be, you know, really positive. So that's what I'm doing right now. You know, I cook my meals, I work, stuff like that. There's some really good um, highlights and notes within that um, routine. Like you have um, like the maintenance and yeah for your body and mind. It sounds like a lot, but like, and this will be part of my program. I won't throw it all at you at once. Mm -hmm. In fact, like the first week is just journaling, just writing down what you currently do. I emphasize, I, I yell at you in capitals in the writing. I yell, yell at you in capitals. I say, don't change anything. Just keep going along, but write down what you do. This is going to be for you to reference and see if it's working for you, you keep doing it. If it's not working, if that thing you ate gave you heartburn, then you know to not eat it anymore. But at first, don't change anything. Just journal your day, your daily routine, your bowel movements, your food, your work, what triggers your stress, all that. Then we get into adding in, okay, this week start scraping your tongue and whatever. Mm -hmm. We build up, and then before you know it, it becomes second nature, just like you don't leave the house without brushing your teeth. If you do, you're Josie Grossy, but you know what I mean? Most people don't leave the house without brushing your teeth. It's just, you wouldn't think to not do it. It just becomes part of your day, and where you thought you didn't have time, all of a sudden that time magically appears. Right. Right, for what you value to be important to affect change and lasting transformation not just a temporary change to get into a dress for a wedding or to impress someone or whatever, like real change that lasts for a long time. Is, do you think with that change, like a dog um, circling around and finding that spot to you know, sit down and flop, that you can um, take your healthy habits, things that are helping your body, but sometimes re uh, rearrange them around to see what it can be fixed or what can be better? Yes, yeah, and that's part of the program is 
I give you lots of tools to work with. I share what's been given to me. I share it with right. you. And then at first, I, I give you ex explicit instructions that you can or cannot follow, right? You, you buy the program, it's your choice if you want to use it or not. If you want to be, you know, what they call an ask call, ask for advice and then not take it or if you want to do it, right? So at first, the instructions are to be followed and have you build a good foundation. And then at a certain point, I start to throw in there, okay, now I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't invite you to now tap into your own intelligence and figure out which of this yoga benefits you most, which meals are good for you, things like that. Of course, I support you and I, I guide you, but at some point I, I ask you to do certain things on your own. And in terms of what uh, you mentioned, you know, circling the mat, the practice reluctance, that gets mitigated or ameliorated, whatever, you know, word you want to use, because you get more used to doing things. It becomes more familiar. It's not that unknown thing that you're scared of anymore. And that's something that Brian's program has helped me with. I've had a lot of practice reluctance over the years because of my spine and things like that. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had a, a big tete-a-tete uh, -tete with practice reluctance, and I gave it the finger, and I did the thing that I had been reluctant to do, and it worked out really well. But again, when it's the unknown, you're, you're more inclined to kind of sit in that familiar thing that doesn't work, but at least you know what it's, what it's going to be, rather than that unknown, you don't know what's going to be, so that's a little bit more scary. Mm -hmm. But I gave it the finger, and I got past it. So You did? Yeah, so daily routine helps you to be able to give practice reluctance and other negative things the finger, so to speak. <laughs> I, I love it that your morning, your morning routines can be different than my morning routines, um, but we could share that similar similarities um, in it. Yeah, like we'll, we'll both, you know, we have, we're made up of different elements. Well, we all have the same elements, we just have different amounts in them in us that, you know, make up our unique constitution. So while for me right now doing oil massage, self-oil massage or abhyangam is good with coconut oil for someone who has a very naturally oily constitution to begin with or is feeling cold for whatever reason, that oil wouldn't be good, but they would still do the oil massage. They would just use a different oil. Yeah. Or if they were really oily, maybe they wouldn't do the massage, but they would at least dry brush, you know. Yeah, and then food, you know, we can both eat the same food, but it's going to affect each of us differently. Like one person, if it, if it didn't digest well, and we all, say we all ate a burger. I don't know why I always use the burger as the example, but I always use the burger. Even though I don't really eat burgers, I eat beef like twice a year maybe, but for some iron. If we all ate a burger, someone who didn't digest it well could get nauseous, like it's too heavy and sits like a lump and makes them nauseous. Somebody else might find that the acidity of the meat was too heating and caused heartburn or sweats of some kind. And then someone else who doesn't digest well could get a lot of bloating or air and space in their stomach before they were able to finally digest it. It's all the same food. Everybody ate the burger. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we all have certain differences. I think it's a good analogy. 
uh, because there's so many burgers that you can get out there <laughs> the world, yeah. within a certain ratio, ratio. Right. but it's so easy. Uh, and the, uh, I don't know about the, the meat and the bread and the carbohydrate together to it. it it's mixing this uh, amount of like, it's delicious, you know, to combine these two together, but it's also really not that uh, good for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a classic American flavor profile that most people really like, but we're taking two heavy substances and combining them. So that, first of all, is just a lot to digest. Mm -hmm. Second of all, as I understand it, we, we create, not create, or we turn on different enzymes to digest different foods. And you can't have all your enzymes working at the same time. So you have enzymes that will work to help you digest the protein, other ones for carbs and others for fat. And when you do the carb and the protein together like that, heavy, heavy ones like that, you just don't have what it takes mm -hmm. to, to make it go well mm -hmm. a lot of the time. So is that a Ayurveda? Yeah, pretty much. Maybe uh, someone who was a little bit more erudite could explain it better and use different terminology, but basically, yeah, you don't combine, food combining, proper food combining is right. a, a big piece. And that could be a, a huge undertaking in and of itself, but suffice it to say that basic food combining, like not eating fruits with other foods, would be a smart thing to do and not having, you know, your starches and your meats together because it just doesn't work well. It's all a science. Yeah. Pretty exact. There's, there's, you know, leeway and there are certain things that you can, um, what I call MacGyver, you know, <laughs> if you really want to have something, you know, certain things you can do. Like if you really want your coffee, a lot of people these days are adding a little ghee to it or a little coconut oil or a little mm -hmm. cinnamon to help you know, mitigate the, the negative effects of the, the constituents that are in the, in the coffee, you know. But for the most part, you know, you're not, you're doing yourself an injustice when you combine foods improperly. People think it's just what you're eating, like what's the substance? Am I eating the potato chips that are bad for me or am I eating the broccoli that's good for me? That's part of it, but a huge part of it is also how you're eating it. Right? What foods are you combining? What time of day are you eating it? Are you eating a bunch of snacks and creating a lot of toxins in your body because you're not giving your body to a chance to digest what you ate two hours ago and then you're throwing more on the fire and putting it out, you know, you have a digestive fire. Are you eating really fast, not chewing your food and getting indigestion? Right? Are you driving down the road, stressed out, talking on the phone, eating a power bar of some kind, mm. and saying, Ayurveda is not real life, you know? You have to cook, and nobody has time for cooking. I'm like, well, last time I checked, IBS isn't real life either, so you, you do it your way, I'll do it mine, you know? I get a little bitchy when it comes to people saying they don't have time to cook, because they have time for other things. And Ayurveda cooking, contrary to what some people think, is not really uh, intricate and involved. It's not super time consuming with these obscure methods and ingredients that you have to order from another planet or anything like that. It's very basic, a lot of it, and, and super easy and fast. You just have to learn it. You know, it's whatever you place your importance on.
you know. And this is amazing that you're um, helping, can help people with this program through that whole process to get there. I'm trying. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if, you know, like my sister said to me the other day, you know, what are you going to do for work when this is all over? I said, well, I'm developing my program. And she said, yeah, but I don't know if people are going to be spending money. And I said, well, then they're not my client. We'll see who my client is. Is my client someone who values spending X amount of dollars, you know, one time to transform their lives, improve their health, and not just their health, it's going to put you in a mindset to be able to achieve a lot of other goals that you might have in life that you weren't able to concentrate on because you have brain fog and everything from all your other habits that weren't serving you, right? Um, and maybe this is going to make people want to protect their immune system even more, so they're, they would definitely want to do the program for those reasons too, you know? Or the people who spend 20 or 30 bucks or more a week on Starbucks find value in that, but if will raise an eyebrow when they hear how much my program costs and say, that's ridiculous. Yet that's going to be one year of Starbucks versus Starbucks for years and years and years, or whatever it is that you're doing that's not really doing anything great for you. Yeah, I think this is more of an important time than ever. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know, but I'm doing it. I'm going to see it through because um, I have a couple of people that I want to gift it to. A current client of mine who's been working hard and, you know, I want to see if, if have, having her try it this way will be even more helpful than the past way where I sit with you for an hour or two, dump like all this stuff on you and say, go ahead, do it. And then I'm, I'm still there along the way, but you're like, I can't do all this. Yeah. To my new method, which is get you in the proper mindset, start feeding you little hors d'oeuvres and then bring the entree in and you know, all that. Mm -hmm. Yoga and Ayurveda living. It's a mouthful. Yeah, I'm going to put that on the notes uh, for, for the page so people can click there and mm -hmm. find uh, your site, your information. And um, anything else for like the, the links and the programs that you want to uh, mention? Uh, the program's not finished yet. I'm working on it right now. When it's done, I will post it on Facebook. I have to figure out marketing for it. And I'm not tech savvy and all that, so I'm gonna need some time to just finish this all up. And uh, but it will be on my website, so yogaandayurvedaliving.com yep. is the website. And you can, you know, my my contact info is on Facebook. You can call me, text me, email me, whatever. I'm a big fan of if somebody wants to talk to me. There's this thing called the phone, and you press numbers into it, and it makes it ring, and then somebody else picks it up on the other end. And you don't have to text me first and ask me if you can call me. You just call me. If I can't answer, I don't answer. Yeah, it's different different media today. I, I guess I'm, I'm considered rude. I just pick up the phone and call someone if I want to talk to them. I don't text them first and ask them. Yeah. Sorry, you shouldn't answer the phone if you don't want to talk to me. <laughs> well, we'll put all the links on. Uh, uh, I'll put it on Yoga with Joe. Um, and share that when you have that ready. Cool. Yeah, with everybody. Thanks, Joe. This is awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Diane. It was uh, a lot of great uh, notes in this um, in this conversation. So I'm really excited to uh, continue learning from you and going back and writing down some of the things that uh, we talked about, like the Sanskrit words. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, we, you know, I need to practice that too. I'm, believe me, Sanskrit is a whole huge, another, a whole other Vedic art. Right. You know, that's, that's, I'm nowhere near being able to teach anybody anything about that. But, yeah. you know, I just like to play with everything. So I'd give you a hug, but we can't do that right now. Right. With the virus. So virtual hugs. Virtual Thank hugs. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you.